0: Today we're talking about the mission of God. Uh, I can remember as a high school kid, which, you know, wasn't that long ago, but I can remember being a high school kid. I, I lived a pretty good high school life. I uh, was able to play music at uh, all of these cool bars on the beach. Uh, my brother and I were in a band called Whiskey and Bread. That's because he was called Whiskey. That was his nickname. Mine was Bread, because that's how people pronounce my name in Portugal. And we would we'd play at all sorts of great uh, shows where we would play our own music, and then we would shut it down so that they could do some karaoke singing for a while. And then we would uh, kind of come back and play... Uh, You know, like the latest hits that people had just sung, you know, but we would do them better. Uh, So I'd had a pretty good high school life, obviously. But I can remember I'd spent all this time in this country that I really enjoyed Uh, a place I really loved, a people I really loved, sort of taking in all the fruits of it. And then it was my senior year that uh, this passage that we're going to look at today, which is Matthew 28, it's the last. Uh, passage of the, the book of Matthew. Uh, this passage was was being talked about in our church, our local church, and our, our pastor would bring people up on a Sunday morning and interview them about what they're doing in life, like where do you go to school, what's your job, you know, what, what are you facing in life, and sometimes people would share really hard things, but often they would just, you know, sort of share, you know, the places that they were in life, and then he would say, well, you're a sent one by God to all of these places. Uh, I can remember uh, having this epiphany in my last months living in Portugal that my whole life was actually about the mission of God, but I didn't know it, and I didn't live in it. I didn't purposely pursue that. That's that because of the gospel that was my life, but I didn't. Uh, I lived as if it wasn't. And so I really love this passage. I love to, to teach about it. It's a, it's a great honor, and it is. It's Matthew uh, 28. And so we'll read it, and what I'll do this morning is we'll talk about that passage for a long while, and then at the end, uh, I'll talk about how we're going to try to obey and live that uh, as a community of people, as the Church of Soma uh, here in L.A. So this is uh, the Word of God. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Uh, Let's pray again. Jesus, I pray for us to, um, to take hold of who you are as a person, God. Uh, who you are in our world, in our lives, that we would uh, see your authority, that we would come to to know you in every part of our lives, uh, that we would continue to, to give you rule and reign, which you already have, but that we would surrender to that uh, in every aspect of our lives. God, I pray, too, that... That in this teaching, your spirit would stir and cause us to experience repentance, redemption. That you would uh, allow us to continue this conversation in community and in friendships as we uh, seek to observe all that you've commanded us to do. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, the, The first lines that Jesus says here are the most important. So it's not one of those passages where the last lines, uh, you know, kind of hit you on the side of the head of like, oh, that's what he's been talking about all the time. It's the first lines. Uh, If if this doesn't matter, then the rest of it doesn't. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Uh, Heaven and earth. I think for us, we often think of, you know, the swirling green and blue, you know, sphere. You know, going around the sun. And we think that is the earth, you know, the third rock from the sun. Uh, But really, if you look to the whole of scriptures, how does the Bible begin? Does anyone know? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was kind of bizarre that then Jesus here is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? Jesus is making a, a major claim that you can't ignore. He is saying that everything below our feet, the earth, the land, the soil, every created thing, uh, everything that we even create from the created things, he has authority over. And he's saying everything that you can see above your feet, uh, to the most outer cosmos, galaxies, all the way to the ends of the known universe, he has authority over as well. See, Jesus is saying that he doesn't just have an opinion on life or he doesn't just have advice for life. Uh, he's saying he has a right to your life. Uh, if you take out the rest of the story, uh, Jesus is just the most narcissistic, crazy person you've ever known. Uh, he's, I mean, imagine someone coming up to you and saying, all power on heaven and earth belongs to me. I mean, it's pretty, like, foolish, you would imagine, right? Uh, even, you know, it's, it's one of the, you know, interesting realities as people actually get the things that they're pursuing, whether it's, you know, to be, you know, the president of a company or to be, you know, an executive producer. I heard that's a thing, right, Austin? That's like a job that's important. Uh, Or if they're able to uh, somehow be the president of a country, we think, oh, like, then I'll be able to have. But what happens is as people accomplish those things, uh, they realize that how little authority they actually have, right? Over all things. But Jesus is saying, everything is his. Not only does he have an opinion about it, he has a say. He's claiming a royal status over every aspect of creation, every aspect of culture, uh, every aspect of the economy. He's claiming that sort of authority. That he is from the very beginning, right? That, that in, as the heavens and the earth were created, he's saying, I was there. As the Apostle Paul will later say in the New Testament... All things were created by him and through him. And he's saying, I have that sort of command over stuff. But what gives him the right? I mean, surely there's something going on inside of you, uh, because it goes inside of me often, which is, there's no way he has the right to talk to me like that. I'm an independent, sovereign person. Like, I get to say, who is authority? Like, I've never even met Jesus And yet he's telling me he has authority over all things. What gives him the right? Uh, He has the right because of everything we've talked about in the foundations. uh, Everything for the last eight weeks, I believe that's how long it's been. He has a right. Because he is proven himself to be good. That Jesus, by this point, has lived a life of full satisfaction with the Father. That he has proven a life of joy and of laughter and wisdom. That there are people that actually want to spend time with him, not because he has many things to offer, but because when they're with Jesus, they find joy and all the longings of their hearts satisfied. That he is good. Not only did he live a life like that, but in his death and in his resurrection, the most cruel of tortures, we see actually an abundance of joy. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that it was for joy that Jesus endured the cross. That in Jesus, we see a fullness of the goodness of God that satisfies everything. That, that gives him the right. We also see that Jesus is uh, great. That in all aspects of his life, he was actually in control, that he was uh, gracious and sovereign in everything that he did. That there wasn't a single storm or sickness or illness or evil spirit or sin or death that he didn't have a sovereign control and rule over. And that he was good at being in control, that Jesus was great. We also see that Jesus has been and proven to himself to be glorious. That, that the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross as he's bleeding and dying his last, dying a death of a criminal, we somehow see a picture of God, how he's always been. As, as he's always been abounding in love, uh, never-ending grace, forgiveness, and justice. And in his resurrection we see that evil and death itself has been swallowed up and there's no more glorious a day than on that Sunday morning when death was conquered. That is glory uh, in history. That is a a visceral glory. So that gives him the right. He also has the right uh, because he's gracious. Uh, Jesus lives a life out of unending love, to bring to humanity and to the world itself a gift that we do not deserve. A life. Do y'all remember us talking about that? that? That because of God's grace, we've been made alive. Not because we did anything, not because we earned anything, or were really awesome, but because of His grace. That's what gives Him the right. That's why he has all authority on heaven and earth. Because your life is his. Which I think, I I just, I don't know, I'm still getting used to the whole like asking people questions thing. In a gathering. But I'm going to try this question. (laughs) Uh, If all of that is true, everything I said is true, that Jesus does have that authority. What does he have authority over in your life? And in your world? So say specific things. Because as you say them, you're saying them for other people in the room, and it like actually does a better job than if I just outline all the things that he has control over and authority over. So what does he have authority over in your life? Go for it. My career. Your career. Every decision even, right? Every aspect of it. Yeah. Suffering. Your suffering. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Often, like someone observed the other day, that in Christianity, uh, in this last century, we focused a lot on uh, God's, how God plays in our success. Whereas the most of Christian history and experience is actually focusing on how we share in the sufferings of Christ. What else does he have authority over? Where you live. Yeah. What else? He has authority over your kids. Your finances? Like every dollar? Yeah. He has authority over the people that I want to have authority over. Yeah. That is... You took it to a depth there. He has authority over the people we want to have authority over. Which is actually pretty remarkable. That's how... You know, a lot of the New Testament unfolds with the implications of the gospel is people who are masters and in charge and heads of households don't actually. Any authority they have is just because God's given it to them and he's in charge of them as well. How about you, John? He has authority over what I must turn to for wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, he has authority over the scriptures themselves. Yeah. What else? Over my time. Yeah. Your time. Every waking hour. What are you going to say, Katie? Um, my womb. Your womb. Yeah. Yeah. He has authority over every organ in our bodies, right? Yeah. Go for it. He has authority over what we think about what we meditate on. Yeah that he has a authority over our minds and what we think about what we meditate on. Yeah. What else? He has authority to say no to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has authority of what we yeah, of our decisions and what we want. Yeah, go for it, Philip. Um, he has authority over my relationships. Yeah. He's the one in charge of all relationships. What else? Authority over church and what it's called to do and how we're called to live together. Yeah. He has authority over this body. Which is such good news, right? That uh, you don't have to stand up here and look at Chip or Ryan and Jared and say, oh, okay, they've got it because they're such really wonderful, competent people. <laughs> it's good news, right? Because if it is that, I mean, they're as good of men as I've seen and fathers and all of that. But, uh, yeah, to stake your life on that seems uh, pretty sketchy. Yeah, go for it. Okay. <laughs> yes, amen. Thank you. Backing me up there. Uh, it, Jessica's laughter also is backing me up. Thanks. <laughs> go for it. Over enemy. Yeah, he has authority over the devil, which is remarkable good news, which also plays into the life of the church too. Huh? Yeah, go for it, Jackson. What I see. Yeah, yeah. He has authority of, yeah, what you submit your life to. Authority over my habits. Your habits. It's true. Including the brushing of the... Go for it, Amy. He authority over like, who we love and how we love and how mm-hmm. we to love. Yeah, he, he has a say in who we love and how we love, how we receive love. Yeah, go for it, Max. He has authority over our future and who we are in future. Who we are in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything that we fear, he has authority over. Yeah. What else? Mistakes. He has authority over our mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, he has authority over every change. Yeah. He has authority over the government and the laws that we like live by, right? Does he have authority over the next um, answer to this question? <laughs> D- definitely, that's deep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because you don't have one. Yeah. So here's the thing. As we've described one of the remarkable things of the, that description is we described a full life. There, Of parenting, of relationships, of work, of... No one said God has authority over our entertainment or our hobbies. But that's definitely true. He has authority over our time, of our rest, uh, when we're asleep, when we're awake, how we love. He has authority over all of that. In every aspect of a human life, Jesus is saying, I am the king of that. And, that, and that's why this is so important. Because what Jesus is saying, he's about to say the purpose of a person's life. He's about to say all of that, all of your body, every organ, all of your time, your career, your skills, your talents, the things you enjoy, the things you don't enjoy, the people in your life, your family, your children, All of that is about to be used for a purpose. But if you don't believe Jesus has an authority of, over that stuff, what, the rest of what he says doesn't matter. Because you've already said I'm not king, I have my own purpose. And so if that's what cuts you today, that's the thing of repentance today. That is actually his kindness to say, I have authority over every aspect of your life, and I can put it to use however I want. Which is, in itself, uh, the call to repentance and faith. Because he could ask in this moment, you know, hey, I want everybody to only wear Nike shoes. And that would be a legitimate thing to ask us to do. Because he has that kind of authority. He could say, I want everyone to move into the desert and, and set up shop. Or I want everyone to build the huge, you know, like soft drink business. That's what I really, because I have authority to do that. Do you guys see that logic? Because he can have a say like that over your life. But this is what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Or he could also easily say of all peoples, all tribes, all kinds of people. He says, go and make disciples. Meaning Jesus has decided and commissioned us to employ and utilize everything in our lives under his authority for his mission of gathering all people back to himself to know and to worship and to live in God's life. That that's what he's chosen to do. With all of his vast authority, he's saying, you will go and make disciples. Everything that we just listed that he has authority over, that's what he's doing with it. He's he's making disciples with it and through it. He's saying, the primary focus of your life is to go. All of it. Everything that we mentioned. Even the super deep stuff. Like authority over the people that I want authority over. Or my future and the type of person I will be in the future. Or the consequences of my mistakes. He's saying, I have the authority I'm using to make disciples. Now, on that, he says, Go, which is uh, pretty cool because he's saying that this mission is about movement. Uh, as, As you come to Christ, as you believe in his death and resurrection, he's putting your life on the move. That mission is a journey. That it's a proactive pursuit of people. He doesn't say, I want you to go and wait for all these people to come to you. He's saying, oh, actually, you're going to go. And the 11 people that he spoke this to spent their life after that going to people. Uh, you don't see any more uh, random occurrences where the people are just sort of hanging out and then something crazy happens. What you see instead is is people going on their way to worship. You see people going on their way to trials. You see them uh, locked in a prison talking to the, the guard. You see them running from earthquakes. You see them going to the public places where they'll be beaten and shamed and mocked. You see them going. Which the implication is, for us, our lives are now on an open pursuit of other people. That we, we become pursuers of relationships, not just, you know, passive receivers. That it changes where we actually live and what we're doing with those things. He also says, make disciples. So we're not to make widgets. Like the primary thing you're doing in your life is to not make widgets or radars or uh, movies or schools or laws. The primary thing you're making is not none of those things. He also calls into the very beginning of the creation narrative yet again of people being called to cultivate and subdue the earth. That we're called to go and cultivate and pursue making disciples. And disciples of God. Whenever he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you're going to go and you're going to make disciples and root them in their identity, which is in me. And this is revolutionary. Because back in the day, and even still today, you would have a rabbi who would make disciples. He would, he would gather up, usually small kids, not you know middle-aged men like Jesus did. But he would gather and he would make disciples. He would teach them their ways. Uh, the rabbi would walk with these with these young men until you know adulthood and some of them would be such good students they would go and sort of start their own rabbi firm you know where they you too could be a rabbi and you could pull in all the teachings of you know that you want you can teach people how to be a disciple of you what jesus is saying is you make disciples of jesus not of ourselves we're, we're baptizing people into the very quality, name, and, and identity of Christ. That we're, we're teaching them and showing them how to be uh, a son of the Father. How to receive the Father's love. We're making disciples by showing people how to receive Jesus as King. We're, we're showing people how to receive Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, as the empowering helper, witness in our lives. That we're rooting people on who He is and what He's done. Not how good we understand certain aspects of the Bible and our personalities and our doing. right? Which I would say, I've only been here for, I don't know, nine weeks or something. But uh, it's pretty great to know that as I've gone to your communities, you don't all like, try to look like your leaders of those communities. It's actually like a diverse community. Expression of people trying to follow Jesus, not a how can I be exactly like, um, you know, one of those guys I talked about earlier. We make disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves. And the last thing he says, teach them to obey or observe all that I've commanded you. He says that, that we're not just to go and, and give people some sort of conversion card, you know, like, we should all just be card-carrying Christians now. He's actually saying, no, the the implication of people becoming disciples, fully submitting every aspect of their life to Jesus, is that people will live a different life. Uh, the, The words here are not, just teach them to know the commands of Jesus. Like, hey, we want to make sure everybody knows the rule book. You know, uh, my daughter Nora started kindergarten a couple weeks ago and she came home and we're trying to get her to relax. So she was taking a bath and I was talking to her. She's like, Dad, what's 11 plus 15? I was like, "Uh, 26. Right? Uh, And then she's like, That's how many rules we have for the classroom. It's like, are there rules outside of the classroom? Yeah, well, there are bathroom rules, there's cafeteria rules, there's playground rules, then there's PE rules. Also, if we do enough stuff and put enough things in the jar, then we have a party. But if we do bad things, then that comes out of this other thing that's being tabulated over here. Which is, like, amazing (laughs) that after a day, she knew all the rules. (laughs) Which would make what we're doing as a church so easy, wouldn't it? Like, hey, I want to teach you guys because... Essentially, Jesus comes out with three commands Love God, love others, love your neighbor How awesome would it be If that's all being a disciple was The the laziness in us would say that, right? Oh, I told people the three commands So, disciple made, right? (laughs) But he's saying Teach them to observe all that I've commanded Teach them to, to see and to obey All that I've commanded Show them, lead them demonstrate, instruct, give people opportunities to love God, love others, and love your neighbor. Right? That, that to, the life to make a disciple, the going and the making and the being made as a disciple means that we're always using a community of people to show us and teach us how to follow Jesus. It's one of the ways that uh, people described Christianity in the beginning as just the way of Jesus. Right? that we would uh, instruct people to actually move with their lives towards obedience and faithfulness. That not only would Jesus have authority over everything, but that we would live our lives like he does have authority over everything. And this, by the way, all of these things, are the aims of every like missional community that we have. That within a missional community... Uh, people would increasingly be coming under the understanding of God's rule and reign over their lives. That every aspect, every corner, every cranny of what it means to be a person, whether it's the organs in our bodies or our future hopes and aspirations, a community of people is teaching us how Jesus is the king of that. The good, gracious, glorious king of that. Also, our missional communities are are all about going about a process of pursuing people and actually getting out into the world, not building an enclave to ourselves. Also, our missional communities are all about how can we actually teach one another how to obey what Jesus has already said. That's why, you know, sometimes people are real sticklers on the language around, you know, calling it a Bible study or a community meeting or something like that. Because it's not a meeting in the middle of the week. We're not just studying the Bible, though obviously we have to study the Bible. We need the scriptures more and more because it shows us how God is authority over all of our lives. But we want to do and live the Bible, not just know about it, right? That's what a missional community is about, that we would actually live in our identity, that we'd be pointing people to that, that we'd be living a life faithful to it, outside of it. That we would live a life with God, both in our worships and in our doubts. So that's what it's all about, teaching people how to daily submit all things to Jesus as Lord, which should beckon some imaginations of some relative or friend close to you. It's like, there is no way that person would call Jesus God, much less Lord and authority. And that is the people we pursue, right? That is the call to make disciples. And that's what God has been faithfully doing in the life of every church for 2,000 years. Calling and leading and stirring people to go to all kinds of nations and people groups and careers with that good news. That Jesus is the good, satisfying king we've always longed for. That his death and resurrection is our redemption and restoration. So that's that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that like a little bit inspiring? That your life now is not about trying to figure out which are the best schools to take your kids to? Or it's not about trying to figure out what rules you need to play so you get the career you want? Isn't it a little satisfying and inspiring to know actually the chips may fall as they will, but I know the purpose of my life. And no career, no parent, no teacher, no boss can tell me the purpose of my life. No one can, because Jesus already has. That is really good news. The second thing I wanted to do this morning with my time is explain how we try to live that out. That especially that going and making part, right? Uh, we are called, even in this passage, to sort of a plurality calling, So this this calling, this commissioning that Jesus gives us, is not a one-on-one conversation he has with people, but it's actually a communal calling. Uh, He spoke to them, and he called them together for a task. Uh, We're called and we're uh, sent together uh, to follow Jesus together. That's what it means to come into a missional community. Uh, Christianity has always had that communal trajectory, uh, whether it 's the Jesuit priests, whether it 's uh, the, the Protestant missionaries in inland China, whether it is uh, every church in Germany and Italy and Egypt in the old and olden days, the mission of God has always been a communal thing, not a one on one individualistic thing out in the world. And so how do we do this together? Uh, For us, each of our missional communities, which this is going to make sense why they're called that, have a mission, a common mission. And here's a definition that I think is helpful. A common mission is your community's unified effort to love, through word and deed, a specific group of people. So each community has come and has been led by God to one of these things, to a a common mission. Meaning that there's some important words here. It's a unified effort. Uh, That means that we're all going to try to jump in and do it together. Everyone has a part to play. Uh, It's one of the really wonderful parts of Christianity as well, is that there aren't a few people that get to do Christianity, and the rest of the people just sort of agree with it, but everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a unified uh, effort towards this goal. And the effort is to love through word and deed, meaning that we say things about God, which is revolutionary, I know, in our culture. We actually say what we believe about God with the expectation that it will bear fruit, that it doesn't come, that it's not pointless or wasted, but we will say things about God. And we do that together. And that we will actually do things to demonstrate what God is like and what He has done. So the, the common mission isn't simply showing up at a certain time, a certain place, and making sure that we you know, did something. But it's that we would speak and that we would demonstrate the gospel itself. And that it would be to a specific group of people. So it's not just our unified effort to try really hard with a bunch of uh, random people. <laughs> Uh, but it's our unified effort to love a specific group of people. That, that we would be called and know their names, their faces, their stories, their place in life. Um, that we would uh, all readily, easily be able to say, yeah, these are the barriers to the gospel that they're facing. This is what makes it hard for them this, to believe. But this is what it would be like if they did believe. Right? We'd know that specifics. So that is what a common mission is there are three sort of aspects to choosing or discovering a common mission. Isn't everyone glad they're in class now? That was like kind of a cool shift. Now we're in class. Uh, So one aspect of a common mission is a network of relationships. That means that a community will decide, we want to love through word and deed a specific group of people that are intermingled with relationships. That means that uh, the mission itself is relational. This is like pretty huge and sometimes devastating. It means that it will require us getting to know people and hearing stories. It will also require us being known ourselves. Uh, Long gone are the days where you can pretend to be like really wonderful Christian and convince people to believe what you believe. Now we're in these glorious days where the actual way that we make a case for Christ is in our brokenness and in our confession of sins to people who don't even believe in God. And so we do that in relationships. So a common mission to network could look like, uh, you know, the art club, the CrossFit club, the cycling club. Your kayak club was, like, ripe for, like, a common mission you talked about last week. Uh, that would have been perfect. You, like Anyway, uh, it could look like, you know, this association of people with the same career. It could look like, uh, you know, a, a group of people that always attend the same events, and things. A network of relationships. Uh, It could also be the second aspect is a a neighborhood. Meaning that the the mission of a community is actually rooted in geography. So you wouldn't just be able to say, hey, we just want to reach people, and this is just hypothetical, um, we want to reach everyone who works in the entertainment industry. Everyone. I'm pretty sure that's like millions and millions of people. I used to think that was about 12 or 14 people. And then I moved here and realized that's actually like a lot of people. But that's millions and millions of people. So what you would then have to say is like, actually, we're, we're actually going to be constrained, uh, constrained to a space, a people, a place. Uh, so not just anyone in the inter- entertainment industry out there who would say, yeah, in Los Angeles. And then in this particular area of Los Angeles, we want to reach people in the entertainment industry. Does that make sense? Because, and this is why, we're not infinite beings, like with outside of time and space. We actually exist in a place. It's Jesus emptied himself, became a man, lived a mission uh, on this earth with a few disciples in a particular place, with a particular group of people. He had a profession. He had uh, a culture that he stepped into and a language. And so... One of the ways we know we're not actually submitting to ourselves as not being God and Jesus being God is whenever we say, oh, we're on mission to these 20 million people. It's like, no, that, that, that kind of proves that you're like, you don't think that you're just a person. So it's a specific place. Or you could also say uh, a neighborhood, a block, uh, a short uh, distance to walk, uh, a school kind of place. Uh, it's also a need. A uh, common mission is uh, tangible. That as we pursue these things, we actually see ways in which we can bless others. The ways in which we can uh, make the gospel tangible. The, the big areas that the scriptures talk about are widows, orphans, refugees, the poor. The people who are lost and lonely. Uh, the people who are poor and powerless. and we, And that is also a common mission, whether it's, um, yeah, the, the people who, if you were to take that entertainment industry thing again, you would say, who are the people who are uh, only eating ramen noodles every day, who can't uh, survive, who, who needs the blessing of rent paid for, who needs the blessing of a friend and a relationship, and how can we build that and include that? So I want to give a few, those are the three aspects. And here's how it generally works, as a community might choose one of those and then realize that God is making it more specific as they go and make disciples. So for us, a couple years ago, everyone in our community was convicted around uh, being on mission to love refugees in word and deed together. Uh, and in Portland, we receive 7,000 refugees a year, which... Uh, Is a lot of people Not anymore But that's how it was And so there are You know Something like 14,000 refugees Still living in Portland Because a lot of times People leave Once they get a status But uh, We thought Man that's a lot of people That are coming each month How are we going to be On mission to them That's a huge need Obviously But how are we going to Even do that That led us to realizing, oh, there's these organizations that work with refugees. And so we partnered up with this place called Lutheran Community Services. You guys don't know about because you don't live in Portland. But we partnered up with them, and they said, oh, we have this program where we partner groups of people to refugee families as they arrive so you could adopt a family. We thought, great. Now we're like, so we, you know, picked the people of need. Then we picked uh, a network, and we went with it. And then we were assigned a family, and when they said, hey, you can have a family, there's several coming next month, Uh, how would you like to choose them? Which is a weird feeling of like, well, I'd like them to be uh, really tall, because we really want to improve our basketball team. No, what we did is say, well, for us to uh, meet the needs, care for, befriend, and build a relationship with people they'd probably have to live close to us. So in the end, we chose a refugee family that was going to be placed as close as possible to us. And so through that process, what we were able to go from 7,000 refugees a year uh, to Min and his family and his four beautiful children. And that ended up looking like throwing... uh, You know, parties for them to come to Like we had them come to Thanksgiving Which was really awesome They came to a big crowd of people And called it elephant chicken And didn't eat any of our food It was great We were just like cutting up bananas in the kitchen To give the kids Because they are like I do not want that orange mashed up stuff It also included us going to their house As a community It also included us picking them up from the airport Some of us Uh, Other people purchasing and setting up their house So when they walked in They would have a home uh, With everything that we think is required So that was also funny Uh, We came back a week later And it's like, why are all the beds are now in one room But we built these beds And now you took them off and you put them on the floor Anyway uh, It also included us Hey, we'll just take them to the beach Because they want to see the ocean Uh, Included some of us going with them to the hospital When one of the children was sick Or taking them to the zoo Uh, But it did require a consistent and a regular connection With a specific group of people That everyone in the community had a role to play Whether it was like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches For the picnic that we were all going on Or it was paying for their zoo tickets But it included for everyone Getting to know their names and their lives Right? That's what a common mission is Uh, Another sort of example from further back in time. Uh, Before that, uh, Miral and I's common mission uh, was our neighborhood, and we had lots of people from our neighborhood in the community, outside the community, and and things were going well, and we got to know a lot of the people in our streets. But then there was this one couple in our community who decided uh, they wanted to have and start a community just for people in their apartment complex. So they started with, we live in this apartment complex, so that's the place or the geography of it, right? And then, so we're like, great. And they got to know the people in that, in that apartment complex and realized the biggest need they had. They're all young professionals or law students working crazy hours, studying crazy hours. And they thought what they really need is just kind of like a fun moment where they can make friends and be friends like at the end of the weekend. And so they began to have, every Sunday night, a barbecue in the middle of the parking lot. And they invited everyone to come and the people that were joining them in their community that they were starting. And at first, I just want to be super clear with this. They were very awkward in the beginning. Like, the beginning was just odd and weird. You know, you had, like, six people from the same church, you know, grilling hot dogs for that same six people. Maybe a few other stranglers coming in. But over time, it really grew, uh, to where these people all of a sudden had a community where they didn't before. And all that, all that community was doing was every Sunday night, we're doing this. Every Sunday night, we're doing this. Uh, it didn't change. There were no, like, gaps. They didn't throw the strategy out. They just kept doing it with this specific place, the specific thing. And what that grew into was Thanksgiving meals or some people being in DNA with them. It, it included, uh, you know, poker nights and people, you know, coming to know Jesus at bars with like weird drawings and like that's what it ended up being. But in the beginning it was, we're just going to do this thing at the same time with the same people because we love them, right? That is what a common mission in the end looks like. Now the gateway into it is likely just saying we're going to Pick a people that we're going to grow to love and know. We're going to pick a group, and as we get to know and love them, we're going to care for them in tangible ways. And as we get to know and build relationships with them, we'll see what happens next, right? Uh, Because that's what's great, is you don't have to have everything lined out beforehand. And so that is the calling of a common mission. That's how we try to go and make disciples. And that, by the way, will require not just a modest changing of your schedule, but it will require a changing of your finances. It will require uh, a changing of your preferences. Uh, It will require you using hobbies and things you enjoy now for these people to get to know and learn about God. So that is the common mission of a community. Does that all make sense-ish? Yeah, it's kind of also cool and exciting. Because I could have stood up here and said, hey, your job now is to make disciples of the 6 billion people in the world. (laughs) But what I did say is, like, God has a part for you to play in your community with probably 12 people. And you could really actually see your lives lived obediently to this. Yeah, so good. Uh, I also want to sort of identify the reality that as we do this mission together, we're also scattered on mission. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote, I think, that I didn't write down. It's really great. It's by Leslie Newbegin. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary in India for a really long time. And he's Canadian. All Canadians are good people. And then uh, that's why they don't have any churches up now. <laughs> uh, they're really good people. Then he came back to Canada and North America, and he began to do everything that he was doing in, in India to understand the culture he began to do in his own culture uh, and found like some really remarkable things. But the reality is, is that not only are we gathered together to be the church but as, and to be on mission, but as we do that mission together, we're actually equipped to be missionaries and to be on mission in every other aspect of life. When, because most of your life will be spent apart from your community, moments right, and you have your own coworkers. Some of you have coworkers no one else in your community will ever be allowed to meet, which is crazy. Uh, or uh, friends and relatives and neighbors that the other people in your community will never meet. Yet God has placed you in His authority in those relationships and with those people. So part of the mission is very much common and communal, yet another part of it is very scattered and with you, right? And what happens is, is the common mission that we all experience equips us and trains us in how to do that. So for to go back to the... Um, Example of our community with refugees One of the things that we began to realize Is the greatest thing we could give To this family Was to go to their house and sit and be quiet And to receive Their hospitality Was the greatest gift that we could give them Because uh, they didn't understand My jokes, they didn't understand Anything I was saying Uh, They didn't understand my hand gestures Uh, They didn't think Red glasses were cool Uh, They really nothing I could give them was really satisfied. We also realized that there's so much like services for them that like even the stuff that the financial resources we had wouldn't also like amount to very much because they were already getting it from other places, right? And so what it left us with is realizing one of the greatest ways to be a missionary in any part of life is to be with someone silent and just receiving their hospitality. Which for me personally was, you know, a revolution of oh. Which then got played into. I guess that's the best way to love my brothers, is to receive like their hospitality, and be quiet, and accept them for like where they are in life, and not try to like spazazz them with my words. You know, <laughs> uh, that it played into oh. This is what it would look like whenever we go and take our friends and our neighbors cookies on Christmas, it means we'll just like, go into their house and be still and be quiet and ask them questions. See how that works? That the common mission then taught us how to be missionaries in every other aspect of life. Do we have that quote, Ellie? No? Oh, sweet. There it is, Leslie Newbegin. To make disciples is to call and equip men and women to be signs and agents of God's justice in all human affairs. I think what what we believe here is that by... Because it will feel awkward at times. By having each community live on a common mission, we're actually equipping you to be saints in every part of society. It's pretty cool. That in every uh, home, every business, every new business, every school, we're actually teaching people how to be missionaries there. Because... How do you teach someone to obey the commandments? Do y'all remember us talking about that? By you would actually have to see people, not just tell people about it, but you have to show people how you live it. You would have to struggle with it together. You'd have to give people opportunities and then failure and then so on, right? This is how we're trying to teach people to obey the commands, but also reach people and go to people and make disciples. And so we're also scattered. Uh, Lastly, uh, the mission of God is church-wide too. Uh, There's something special about a group of people like us and what we're able to do in a unified way. Uh, Whether it's simply just having people that are freed up to equip saints, so whether that's, you know, Tripp and Jessica get a fly to all these other places because of your sacrifice of your work, but also get a fly to Denmark and England or the Czech Republic or Australia, wherever it is, anytime you send someone to one of those places, you're actually uh, sending them as the church on mission together. And so for SOMA, we get to participate in the SOMA family of churches, which is you know a couple dozen churches in North America and like 40 church plants where uh, Trip and I get to do a lot of coaching and care for those people or training, uh, and that's how the church gets to live out on mission. So at the moment, we're co- you have to correct me if I'm wrong, you're smart. Uh, we're we're coaching and caring for a church plant in Philadelphia. We're caring and coaching a church plant in San Francisco. Uh, I still get to coach and encourage people in Portland. Uh, we're coaching and caring for uh, Kim in Denmark and his wife. I forgot her name. Lena. Who are coming in like three or four weeks. Sorry. Katie and Stephen. Yeah. And people in Wales, uh, people in uh, all over the UK and Yoshi in Tokyo, where we got to send Ellie for like a couple weeks. All of that is the church actually being on mission together in the world. And you participate in that. So in the book of Acts, Acts 1 8, Jesus gives a similar commission to his disciples, uh, this time to like 70 or so people. And it's Acts 1 8, he says this. Um, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So we as a church participate in that actively. So it's not just that we have this communal mission that we do. Uh, it's not just that we have this scattered mission where we're all across the world uh, doing and living life in relationships with people God's given us. Uh, and it's not just that we have like some missions board that we, like, you know, send some funds to people. But it's that all of it, as a Christian in this church, you're participating in the mission of God to the ends of the earth, which is also really good news. Um, Lastly, there's this really great phrase at the end of this commission. He says, I will be with you always to the ends of the age. The beginning starts with, All authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. The end is, and behold, I'm going to be with you always to the very end of time. The, what do you get for um, all your seeming sacrifice? What do you get for the adjustment of your life? Uh, what, do you, what do you receive? Do we get to change the world? Is that what we're going to do? Do we get to uh, become famous? Do so we get to uh, feel like we solve a huge societal problem? What you get is Jesus. And this is even as well the, the motivation of God to say, all of this is for me to be with you as well. Him being with us is not just, uh, I'm going to give you a superpower so that you can do this. The whole of the Christian or the biblical story is about God being with us. From the garden all the way to new creations, it's about God saying, I want to be with these people. I want to be with these people now. I want to be with these people to the very end. The the gospel is about Jesus saying uh, and doing everything that is required that he can be with us. What do you get for trudging through disciple-making? You get Jesus. Instead of authority over the other people, or instead of knowing the future, instead of getting the good career, you get the one who has all authority on heaven and earth and is choosing to spend it with you. That's the grand payoff. Jesus! End! Exclamation point, because it's not a period. It's like, Jesus! Let's pray. Jesus, we love that you uh, have decided to be with us, that you have called us and that you are even sending us um, not to be a pawn, but to be your sons and your daughters, to be citizens of your kingdom, where you're in the middle and you are graciously saying to us, you're my children in whom I'm well pleased. Father, we thank you for the good news that we are not in authority, that we're not in charge. We thank you for the breath of life that you give us in your Spirit, that we are empowered to do these things, that your Spirit moves and works within us, that the same power that rose you from the dead also gives us life to bear witness, to make any disciples and Jesus we're very thankful that we're not the ones that are trying to get people to copy us but we're just trying to get people to look to you so God as we enter now to worship through giving and through taking communion and through singing and praying that we would do all of that just enjoying the reality that you are with us that you're not just good news in the future you're good news now that every aspect of our lives, you are with us. Amen.